Hello and welcome to From Mumkind, the podcast, a podcast by mums for mums. Normally, each week I sit down and talk to a mum about motherhood. However, these are not normal times. COVID 19 has, in some way or another, infected all of our lives and how we parent, how we interact with our families, and for some of us, including myself, how we will give birth to our babies. In this special bonus episode, I will talk to four mothers and experts. Dr. Laura Lenehan, GP, sleep expert Lucy Wolfe, psychotherapist Joanna Fortune, and maternal wellness professional Kathy Milliken about what COVID-19 means to us, how we can lessen its impact on our family, on ourselves, and what we can expect from the future. Firstly, I chat to Dr. Laura Lenehan, who's also pregnant while still working in GP practice. Welcome, Laura. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Um, so Laura, we've just watched the Taoiseach announce a fortnight lockdown and the aim of this is to drive the infection out of the community and into households, which we can isolate. Can you kind of make that a kind of a simpler version for us? Yeah, so I guess one of the biggest issues that they see at the minute is that over 50% of the cases are what we call community transmission. And what that means is when they identify a symptomatic patient, they can't work out where they got it from. So they try to do their contact tracing and they don't come across any other uh, symptomatic patients, if you like, or they haven't had contact with a confirmed case or they haven't traveled to an affected area, say, for example. So what that means is that it's spreading in the community unbeknownst to ourselves. And the issue with that is that you can have COVID-19 and you can be asymptomatic, so you can have no symptoms, or you can be shedding the virus, as in passing it from yourself to other people before the symptoms start. So possibly 24 to 48 hours before it starts. And therein lies the issue. You don't know that you're sick, so you're out and about and you, you are in fact making other people sick. So what we want to do now is we want to try and stop community transmission because if we can stop community transmission, we can significantly decrease the amount of cases that there will be. And as Tony Holland put it tonight, we want to move it to, you know, household cases. So we want to get everyone in their house all the time so that if someone becomes unwell when they become sick and we test them and prove that they have coronavirus, the only people that they have interacted with in the previous few days are the people in their house. And they will have all have been in isolation together since the symptoms showed. So then that case or multiple cases, if they all go on to show symptoms, are you know, are confined to a household and they haven't had the opportunity to pass it to anyone else. So if we can do that, we can really reduce the risk of transmission, reduce the cases, reduce the surge. So the most important thing that anyone can do now, I mean, I'm just in the midst of writing up a post for Instagram. This is a war and this is our last stand. You know, that's the metaphor I'm going to use. We just, and all we have to do is stay at home. It's so simple. That's it. Stay at home. Don't go out. Don't see anyone. Just stay at home. Stay safe. Protect our loved ones. That's all you have to do. Yeah, and see, I suppose people seem to be struggling with that concept because, as you said, we're using the the, the term war, but because it's invisible and Absolutely. people can be asymptomatic, there's a little bit of relaxed kind of feeling about it. Yeah, 
they think because I'm not sick, I'm not going to do any harm, but you can. We have no way of knowing. So you, you know, some people might not ever get sick with it. Some people might just be carriers, you know, and they might just pass the disease on. And then we hear this term super spreaders, you know, Mm -hmm. like the guy in France all those weeks ago in Italy. And because it's such a novel virus, we know so little. So that's the problem. We don't really know what's happening. So when you read the reports, and I've never read as much research literature literature as I have in the last however many weeks when did this all start? I don't know. It's like all time is just blending into one. But they don't really know. No one really knows. There's lots of hypotheses. But even if you are well, you can pass this on. And even if, you know, I have people writing to me saying, well, is it okay? You know, we're just working in an office, but we're keeping physically distant from each other. But it's not because we shed the virus from our mouth, nose and eyes. So every time you touch your mouth, if you have the virus in you, you pass it onto your hands. And then when you touch the table that you work on or the door handle or the lift button or whatever it is, you can pass the virus there. And then the next person that comes along can pick it up. So, it's a, it is an invisible virus, which is what makes it so difficult. But, you know, people just have to trust in the officials and trust in what they're saying and believe that we can do this, we can stop it. And Laura, you and I were both pregnant at the moment and pregnancy in itself can be a worrying time. Um, and we've a pandemic on top of it. And things are changing from a, you know, from the Taoiseach's announcement this evening to the guidelines that are coming out from uh, the HSC to specific hospitals themselves and the WHO and even from the NHS there's different things coming out Um, so from the get-go looking at appointments your antenatal appointments where do we where do we lie with that at the moment so it's uh, okay it's, it's really difficult to say exactly what's going to happen and how things are going to change going forward. And that's the first thing to be aware of. Maternity, antenatal, postnatal services are essential services. And we get fantastic matern- maternal, antenatal care, okay? But to say that it will continue in that vein, you know, that you will get as many appointments going forward in as we head into a surge, I can't say that for definite. In Ireland, we don't have a royal college that is, you know, excuse me, that is passing out guidelines that says we should do X, Y, and Z like they do in the the UK, the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. And, and we've discussed that, you know, previously. They have very specific guidelines. In Ireland, it's very much hospital based, and each hospital is coming up with their own plans. So at the minute, some are lax isn't the right word but some are operating in somewhat of a normal fashion while others like Mullingar came out yesterday to say they are now restricting any visitors even during labor so anyone going into um, deliver there won't be allowed to have a partner with them previously up until this the guidelines would have been that you can have two people in the labor ward with you now it's down to in most hospitals having your partner or whoever there for active labor only so as in when you're pushing most mm-hmm. hospitals unfortunately aren't allowing anyone in in the early stages of labor or in for induction me myself as i said to you i'm due a section in six weeks and my husband isn't going to be allowed into theater or recovery so he will be allowed to walk beside the trolley as i'm wheeled from recovery to the postnatal ward which takes all of two minutes 
um, and then he will have to leave again. There's also restrictions, obviously, on uh, postnatal ward visiting. Um, so things are changing. Antenatal appointments then, from what I can hear, are being scaled back. You're being asked to wait in the car and being called in. They're certainly not as long as they used to be. Um, some are being cancelled. Some are being done over the phone, if it's at all possible. Um, so every ho- every hospital will have kind of different guidelines in place and hopefully most women will be informed of that in advance. I would imagine that the maternity hospitals are contacting people in, in advance to let them know what's happening. But essential services like, you know, your glucose tolerance test, your anomaly scan, they're going to go ahead and the maternity hospitals, midwives, consultants, they, they want best for mom and baby. So they're going to do everything in their power to give you the best experience you can, they can. But obviously just, you know, this, this is a once in a lifetime situation. You know, I, I hope we're going to look back on this and be like, yeah, it was one of those amazing moms that gave birth in the midst of a pandemic. Go me, you know? Um, And it's just hard to know what's going to happen. Hopefully, you know, we won't surge and this will keep at a manageable level and everything won't be as crazy as we kind of think that it might go if if these this I mean Leo doesn't like to use the word lockdown but let's you know call a spade a spade if this lockdown works then hopefully you know these measures won't need to come into place and if you're a mum like yourself or if you're you know if the guidelines change per hospital and people and a mum can't bring a partner in with them Obviously, that's it's incredibly yeah. upsetting. It's you know we do now we are accustomed to it is you know it, I, I'm there's many my own mum included didn't have my father with her and and that was the dunting at the time, mm-hmm. but as we've moved on from that and we we our relationships our partners now are different to back then and we rely on them we trust them and also there are advocates. Absolutely, yeah, I think. I think, like, as I said to you earlier, you know, I've been kind of broaching this subject on my Instagram over the past week or so just to kind of get it out there that changes might be coming. Usually we talk about, you know, having birth plans in place and knowing you want to do A, B and C. I think we as mums are going to have to come together and realise that, you know, things might have to change. We might not be able to have our partner there, as scary as that is, but we know that if that's the case, the midwife will be there to support us and they'll give us all the support we need. Hopefully it won't come to that. I I honestly really, really hope that it won't. Um, But I think to to have the discussion with your antenatal provider, so whether that's your midwife or consultant, around what plans will be in place, what plans are in place now, and what your alternative options will be. I think that's a really important plan of action to have. And I think, you know, accepting that there are certain things we cannot change, unfortunately, that, you know, there might be that that our birth mightn't go to plan is just something that we're going to have to work towards and coming up with alternatives. And there are loads of people online offering support now to pregnant women, you know, different doulas and there's antenatal classes and there's, tons of different things that so that we can work through this and be prepared for it and 
you know, at the end of the day, the most important thing to remember is that the midwives and consultants and doctors, they want the best for you and for baby, and they don't want to see any harm come to anyone, you know, so they're going to provide you with the best service that they can to the best of their ability. Yeah. And another thing that we, we've, I've seen on, on your Instagram, and I've seen with friends is now there's a little bit of worry around getting the hospital bag ready. Yes, yeah. So I went online on Boots the other day to buy my maternity pads and breast pads and they were all sold out. Um, and then now Boots, you have to queue to get onto the website so that people don't overbuy the already depleted stock from what I can see. Um, obviously, more and more shops are closing down and technically we should be socially distancing. So it's definitely going to become a little bit more difficult for us to get our hands on things. I went to buy Baby Grows today and Next and everyone was, um, the online stores are closed down. So I think we need to start planning in advance. Um, I think we need to reach out for help. I have had actually multiple offers of help on my Instagram messages and we're going to try and set up something there, some sort of a group where we can share because no more than yourself I don't know about you but like I had packs of breast pads and maternity yeah. pads left over the last time you know and I, I give them to the women's shelter here in, in Galway normally and um, so I think there are lots of people out there that are willing to help as well and um, so hopefully we can get something up and running with that but I think planning in advance is just going to be super important for all us pregnant mamas now you know we and we have to come together this together we are stronger slogan is going to be and hugely important so we just need to anticipate and be ready for what's ahead of us yeah exactly and then obviously we the babies will come as they do and then we go home and obviously in the middle of all this Laura you're still you're essentially going home for the fourth trimester and your door is closed absolutely and I think that's the safest way to have it you close that door and you don't open it again for six weeks you know and it's certainly what I will be doing and as much as it breaks my heart we see my parents they live around the corner and we see them every single day we you know we've barely seen them over the past few weeks I called in on the way home from work tonight which was good timing because I clearly won't see them now for two weeks at least and and it saddens me so much that my parents won't be able to hold um my baby after it's born but you know I know that by not holding them now they will be able to hold them in a year's time and two years time and three years time that's why we're doing this we're doing this to protect our loved ones so as difficult as it is it is something that we all have to do you know so my plan is to come home and sit on the couch and sit in the garden and really enjoy that fourth trimester you know and and spend as much time at home with my family as I can yeah exactly and and look we've always asked for for you know in our busy lives you've always kind of said wouldn't it be great if I could just close the door and and shut out the world (laughs) and I suppose in a way we've been given that chance yeah like we haven't we haven't we haven't necessarily asked for it but we've been told we have it so this I, is it. We have home. to embrace it and just stay absolutely. home and hold that those babies um and as breathe them in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and stay safe, you know. There isn't a huge amount of information on COVID-19 um and babies and I, we we haven't talked about discussing that today, but like you know, you need to keep your baby safe. 
yeah the most important thing so staying home and staying away from everyone is the best way to do that yeah Laura thank you so much for joining me and for sharing You're very welcome your wealth of information um your Instagram is for me at the moment is my go-to thank you. um because it's factual yeah, and I think in the midst of yeah. all this you need to be going to people with facts absolutely yeah absolutely and I think I mean I get an awful lot of messages and I think people just appreciate it being kind of simplified isn't the right word but just kind of made more accessible accessible yeah or user friendly if yeah. you like you know so to just explain the thinking behind so to understand the concepts and then just explain them in a in a more accessible way yeah definitely so thank you so much i wish You're you all the best with the thank rest you of your you pregnancy Fingers um, crossed. Yes. Perfectly for us. Six weeks. Oh dear. You've got longer. You'll be, you know, you'll be good. Yeah, I do. Now I'm joined by sleep expert Lucy Wolf. So Lucy, as you know, we're all in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic and a lot of us are at home with our kids and our babies. And as parents, you know, we have responsibilities to socially isolate ourselves. We have financial pressures on us and you know, in the middle of all this, you've got kids who are dying for attention and, and they're out of, you know, their habits and out of their routines. Do you think the stress of all of that, can can kids absorb that stress? And do you think that has an effect on their sleep? I mean, I do think that in general, a level of stress and anxiety can, of course, have an effect on our children because they absorb everything, you know, and I'm always kind of suggesting that everything they think and feel affects their sleep, everything you think and feel affects their sleep. And this is a heightened time. And But at the same token, I try not to allow you almost to go there with it because I suppose try to develop your coping mechanisms for the stress and anxiety to try and release the pressure there, whatever it might be, try to find ways of the parent looking after themselves in this very unusual time so that we are we can still be the best that we can be. And that we're providing that really nice, safe, nurturing environment. I read a post yesterday that said, we're not stuck at home, we're safe at home. And if we think of it a bit like that, and again, it's all about mindset, then we can maybe start to just maybe shape our new life for now. And that one that is still completely ring-fenced in that loving message. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. I kind of feel the same about that, that if you're at home, and, you know, we've been, a lot of us have been isolating there for a while that you, you know, as long as we keep our precautions that this is a safe haven for us and we have to lean into that as much as we can. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose um, <clears throat> it's not easy. I have loads of clients, although we're working on sleep and it's a good time to do that, but they're at home with maybe three children and they don't have the support they would maybe normally have or the flexibility that they normally have. And they don't have the, you know, the external resources that we are used to. And it's hard. Like, it's really hard. Like, thankfully, my own children are older and they're more, way more self-sufficient. So there's not a, I'm not saying there's not, not minding in them, but there's lots of emotional minding in them. But they are able to get up, make their own lunch, breakfast, look after their schoolwork. And so that pressure is not on me when I'm trying to work. But obviously, when you have young children, that luxury is not there yet. So it is, it's so hard. And I just think that we just need to club together in a social way, you know, an online social way just to support each other and to all acknowledge that it's really difficult and not pretend that it's anything other than that. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and saying that, like myself and Ben are at home at the moment now, and Alice is nineteen months. So we, so she's just gone from her two naps a day to one nap a day while we're at home, and we could start, you know, pacing her out a little bit. Um, so we've used the time. To, to kind of transform her from the two nap to the one yeah, nap. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, certainly, obviously, I'm aware that it's a difficult time, but actually it's a brilliant time from a sleep point of view to be home-based as long as everybody is well, without those external forces, the crash, the school runs. It is just the best time to try to either make adjustments like your own there, making the transition from two naps to one nap, or just to start preparing that fertile ground for those positive sleep practices that I'm always talking about. And you can do this right now. You can read the book. You have more time to do it. Um, And you can start to slowly make those changes that sometimes feel that you couldn't make because you've got because of the busyness of of life so certainly i would look oh and look you know me i'm always looking at the positives of things and this certainly is that and lots of my clients that i'm working with at the moment are all reporting that it's so much easier to make the changes because they don't have the external forces yeah absolutely and now an external force that we don't have control over is the time change this weekend so I always dread it because I always feel like we always have a great pattern and then you have this time change um, coming. So what would you recommend for people to do? So at this stage now, I probably would do nothing until the day of the time change. And I would just wait. And when you wake up on Sunday morning, it's going to say it's an hour later than it was the day before. So if your baby normally waits at six o'clock, now it's going to say it's seven o'clock, but it's still really six o'clock, if that makes sense to you. And on that day, I would just work through the day, more or less doing everything an hour later by the clock. But knowing that the day before it was the same time, makes sense. And then that night you can even go to bed the hour later on the clock, because that's the same as your bedtime the day before. But what you might be worth doing as the week unfolds, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, is starting to control the wake time once more. So parents won't like this suggestion, but I want you to know that generally we're not looking for the time change to really do anything for us. So lots of people will be maybe hoping that they can get a later wake time or maybe a later bedtime. And you can try it, but my own experience would be that this often degrades sleep slowly over time. And it would mean that you'd have to do everything an hour later going forward. And I don't necessarily find it works very well. So what I recommend as the next week unfolds is that you start to wake your baby, if necessary, by 7.30 a.m. new time, which is actually 6.30 a.m. old time. And some of you will be horrified by that. But basically, we have to get into the new time structure because... We're going to be going, not this week necessarily, but we're going to start work at the same time as normal or, you know, your day is going to run its normal rhythm. Now, of course, we're not governed as much this week, next week by the, you know, the creche run, the school um, and work. But I do think it's important for us and our children that we regulate the hormonal rhythm. And you're going to have a regular wake time by the end of the week, no later than 7.30 a.m. And you need to make room for your normal nap. You need to make room for your normal bedtime so that by the end of next week, you're no worse off than you were the week before. That's my general kind of suggestion around it. Okay. Um, Okay. So we're all going to be doing that from Sunday on. Um, Yeah. The only thing I will say to you, I know you said you worry about it. 
I wouldn't worry about it. We have enough to worry about at the moment. And I really think that it's just going to happen. And this particular time change versus the one in October, this one doesn't cost us as much. It's not as difficult um, as such. Again, we do lose the hour in the morning time, so that can make it difficult. But just ease yourself into it um, and just take it, you know, go back and forth with it if you need to. What's really important is that you make sure the room is dark, blackout lines, you know, no big distractions so that it's dark at bedtime. For your child to go to sleep with relative ease and it's not too bright in the morning they don't it doesn't encourage earlier than on than necessary waking okay and lucy to really utilize this time now i know you've got an amazing almost back catalog on your igtv for people to watch but you have your first book and your second book is is it out yet or is it due out? No, it's out now. It's, it's available now. In all, on, online in all good bookshops. <laughs> exactly. So do you, is there like, if someone's sitting at home going, do you know what, I'm actually going to take this on now. Um, what, what's your recommendation? As in, would you buy the first book or skip on to the second book? Is there one leading from the other or? Um, okay. So I'm struggling with this one a little bit. Either book will help you address most of the issues that parents experience. Okay. The first book okay. is what I would describe as being the master copy for sleep. So it covers from birth to six years of age. Um, and I know it, I'm sure of it because people have been using it for three years and it's highly regarded. The yeah. second book is this, my approach is the same book. I kept getting lots of different things coming up and I felt I needed to distill the work in a slightly different way and answer loads of the questions that parents have. And it breaks up the sleep into, you know, bedtime, how do I get my child to sleep through the night? What happens if I'm doing a drip feed? How do I break a feeding association? So all those things, and it kind of distills it just that little bit more easily for families. So I'm not answering the question properly because I probably supposed to say the second book but I would say to you, either book will help you. And again, together, they are probably very powerful. Yeah, and saying that, I have your first book. And as you know, I am a massive advocate for you because uh, Alice is a mighty sleeper. And the second book is winging its way to us right now because actually what we noticed when we were reading the first book and with a second baby now in the way, um, a lot of it was, you know, you'd read your sections and you'd kind of go, but I have a question. So I I can imagine, and you know, every baby's different, so I don't know what's going to come in July. Um, So yeah, we have the second one coming because I suppose sometimes your answer you know, you are. I know. And then you see, I suppose I, I, I'm, I'm in love with this book. Does that make sense? Like I loved writing it. I loved the process of it in a way that I didn't the first, which sounds awful. Um, <laughs> but um, somebody posted the other day to say, I read the first chapter and I learned so much more in the first chapter of the second book than I have of reading the first book three or four times. Now, I don't know, is that theme going to continue? And so until I can see, until people come back to me, like you read it and say, oh, my God, that was brilliant because or we felt that really helpful. I guess I'm just going to say, look, either one is going to help you. And they're both like they're both the answer. Does that make sense? Yeah. But I just I think that long term, maybe book two is going to take over. Okay, interesting. Um, Lucy, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I wish you and your family well and to be safe in the next few weeks. Um, and to anyone at home that is listening, have issues with sleep, please give Lucy a follow on our Instagram because it is absolutely invaluable. Oh, thank you so much. And you take care too, Pamela. Thanks so much, Lucy. It's my pleasure. I'm joined now by Joanna Fortune, psychotherapist and author of The 15 Minute Parenting. Welcome, Joanna. How are you? I'm good, Pam. How are you? Good. Um, 
Joanna, I suppose, you know, you have a, a book out and it's it's focusing on parenting. And I suppose at the moment, the expectation on parenting right now is massive. Overnight, we've become oh, educators, yeah. entertainers. Um, we're trying to work from home. We're trying to manage our emotions or, you know, our mental health. So there's a, a big ask on us. Um, you have a lovely approach which is, I, I suppose I find, would find it quite a, a gentle approach, which is the blending teaching with playing. Um, yeah. What does that entail? Yeah, I suppose for me, play is learning. If your child or children are playing, they are learning. And I think we have to shift some of our value system away from, you know, understanding that learning is only in a traditional book reading at a desk in a classroom setting. I, children, their language is play. It is how they understand themselves. It is how they understand and become aware of people and the world outside of them. And it's how they process and assimilate the learning from their day. They play it out. So the greatest thing we can do now, because these are such unusual times, this is unchartered parenting territory for any of us, is to understand that this duality of roles that we are parenting, but we're also so our children's teachers all of a sudden is to maybe reframe that as something that isn't all that new and isn't all that different. Haven't we always been their teachers? Not the same as the ones they go to class with, but we are always teaching them. They take their emotional cues and lead from us. They look to us for guidance and permission and, you know, those counterintuitive pieces where we're saying, no, 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 those injunctions we put on them, we're teaching them all the time. And I think we have to shift some of the value back onto that and understand that that's enough. And it's certainly enough for now. But I also think, Pamela, you know, that it's that's from our point of view as parents. For children, it's very, very difficult, especially for young children, to hold in mind that we, their parents, can be at home with them, but not actually available to them. And what I mean by that is that we might be at home, but asking them to pretend we're not so that we can do some work, that's very confusing for them. So this is about getting it mostly right most of the time and just aiming for that good enough mark. But for me, play has a huge value in terms of learning in and of itself. And an example actually I saw you had was even um, relearning to tie your shoelaces. Oh, yeah. There's a lovely little YouTube video um, of a TEDx talk. And it's it's still up on my, my Instagram highlights, actually, but it's from a number of years ago. And it's this scientist, and he's basically telling us we've all been tying our shoelaces wrong. And actually, that's why they keep opening and we keep tripping over them. And if we reverse, so do it in a very counterintuitive way, the knot is more secure. And the challenge is to sit with your children and relearn how to tie your shoelaces and make that your day's teaching, your day's challenge. And there are loads of lovely little nuggets like that out there that you can do. Another thing that I like to do to blend the play and learning is like people listening now might remember it being in school. Uh, do you remember those uh, paper snappers? You know, the little fortune tellers, you'd fold the paper yes. in lots of ways and there'd be colors yeah. on the outside you'd, and the numbers and you'd go spell out the color and then pick a number, count it out, pick another number and then lift it out and someone would tell you your fortune. Yeah. Well, I made one of those and I mean, I did have to just refresh my brain and go, there is a clip, of course, on YouTube how to get your folds right. But once you start it, it's like riding a bike, it comes back to you. And what I've been doing also is saying, suggesting to people, to use that in a number of creative ways. Put different subjects 
and even different duration of time as the fortunes so that when it comes to teaching your child gets to pick a color a number a number and then you say oh look we're doing maths right now and it says we have to do maths for 25 minutes or whatever it is and then you go back and you re redo your little fortune teller now it says we have to do Irish or whatever it might be but it's making it more playful that you're not saying that they have to sit and do maths or Irish it's the random fortune teller and I also use those little paper snappers as boredom beaters as well that if your child comes to you in that hole you know I'm so bored then you say "Uh oh you said the bored word so let's look at what this throws up and you again get them to pick and inside could be a random fun activity or a chore and by coming to you with their boredom they take a chance on you saying well it says you have to unload the dishwasher or it says you have to tidy your bedroom or it says we get to play outside you know that it mix it up yeah. so that there is a chance element in there and I think that's a great way of blending play and learning but I also think you know teaching them life skills is a way of, of reframing learning around your house. Teach them how to load and unload the dishwasher. Teach them how to cook scrambled egg or beans on toast. Teach them how to do something practical uh, because that's also learning. Absolutely. Um, and that word bored. Yeah. I mean, I love boredom because I think it's grossly underrated for all of us, not just children. Yeah. I think that if we can be bored, we can develop a capacity for desire. We can be cut out of boredom emerges desire and creativity and what tends to happen in our parenting of our children especially these days when we're wired to be busy and doing all the time mm -hmm. is as soon as we hear our children look bored or say they're bored we tend to sabotage boredom with distraction and it comes from a really good place that we want them entertained and stimulated and engaged but actually the next time they whine at you that they're bored you should just say congratulations that's fantastic news I can't wait to see what you come up with to do and leave them because that free-floating state of attention is a really important time for their brain to process to wind down a bit and to just work out what is it that gives me pleasure and joy and let me find my way to that so I think boredom is for all of us by the way not just children is really really important yeah it's, it's so true um and I know talking to parents at the moment um, there's definitely kind of parental guilt um, yeah. you know about trying to get work done and trying to play with them and educate them but also even around you know distracting them so the I suppose the big thing would be screen time um, yes. and I myself would definitely have guilt around it that I hate giving Alice any screen time so I suppose for us we've put YouTube is on the TV so I feel like if she's watching watching Sesame Street it's you know it's counting it's colors there's it's, oh there's some lovely things in yeah. Sesame Street yeah so that's how I manage that piece of parental guilt but you yeah. have some lovely suggestions about what it, for especially for older kids yeah and actually there's tons that you can do about you know I've also heard people at the moment saying you know I'm abusing screen time I want to reframe that as well and put a positive reframing on that that you're not abusing screen time you are using screen time these are unusual par parenting times that we are in and I think we've got to give ourselves a break that we are can utilize it in a creative and clever way so I think if you 
you're using it and you are using, you know, the webcam feeds that you can get into museums or around the world and Irish museums, the zoos, the national parks all around the world. I think, you know, that National Geographic kids have a great website with video resources and printables. That is a really creative use of screen time that again blends that playfulness and screens and learning all at once. Because I can take, you know, a little tour around the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg from my front room and how fantastic. And you could challenge, especially the older children, to find a particular painting that you've already looked up and you know is housed there to be found and let them work out what room is it in, where did they find it, what did they see along the way. Another thing I like to do, especially, you know, because I'm aware how many people go, oh, thank goodness, you know, the Disney streaming and all of that came Mm -hmm. online. (laughs) That if you're aware, yes, I am definitely using whole movie duration of screen time. Then try, again, it's useful with the older ones, but you can actually utilize this system and grow it up as they do, is a movie scavenger hunt. So draw up a list of all kinds of random household items, make it a little more challenging the older they are. And as they watch their TV show or their movie, they have to tick off on the list all of the items as they find them in different scenes. Um, you know, and you can come back to them and play a director game and say, if you were director of that movie, what would you cut out and what scene would you put in instead and how would it change things? So you can make screen time more engaging and more playful and therefore counterbalance the more negative impacts it can have. But I think it's okay to use it and use it creatively at the moment. Well, that's that's great. They're great ideas that I definitely, you know, if you had an older kind of toddler or you know someone in school they would absolutely love that and keep their attention as well throughout the movie absolutely Um, yeah and as parents right now you know on friday night the t-shop has announced that we're have further restrictions what can we do as parents what's the greatest thing that we can do right now for ourselves and for our kids yeah i think it's about especially since the announcement of further restrictions on movement outside of home and beyond our own family unit, I think we have to invest in self-care during self-isolation. I really do. And I think we have to lead by positive example because our children are looking to us and we are stressed and worried. And, you know, it's not without context. When you're in a stressful situation and you are stressed, That's a valid response to being in a stressful situation. But there is time to ground yourself. And I know myself with my own adult peer group that we've been using, you know, pro-socially using online technology such as Zoom to have gatherings and meetups, a, a convening of our book club online. I think linking in with your friends and don't say you won't talk about all of this that's going on because that's setting yourself up to fail, but certainly say you won't only talk about this. Taking care of yourself. When you can feel the stress and anxiety building in you, try a little grounding technique. And this is useful to do for yourself, but also to do with your children if they need to be downward regulated and you know get themselves grounded is to change the field of vision to reset the brain and quite simply put that means looking out a window in your house naming five things you can see four things you could hear three things you could touch two things you could smell and maybe one thing you could taste it's a five four three two one countdown it's engaging your senses and it's just giving yourself time to ground yourself in the now moments when you might begin to spiral into the anxiety and worry space and do yourself the greatest gift of all and stay off social media as much as you can. Not completely because it's a way of staying connected and linked in, but 
make sure you're controlling what you are accessing and how long and how much of it you're accessing at any one time. Maybe set some restrictions on your social media apps that you're only going to take your news related to this public health crisis from reliable sources, uh, be that rte.ie or you know um, hse.ie or whatever it might be. You're only going to draw that news into yourself once, maybe twice a day, and that's it. There both of them the grounding technique is brilliant it's something adults could do and something you definitely do with your kids and i 100 percent agree with you with this with the kind of this was the term overuse of social media is like you do want to stay yeah. connected but you have to I suppose find that middle that ground where you know you've had enough and then you need to step away from it before you get too anxious and you're absorbing the anxieties of others as well as your own that's exactly it because at the moment you know it's a bit like you know and i often use this example but it's a bit like having a bruise and you know it hurts but you keep touching it to make sure it still hurts so i we know sensibly logically we know this isn't good for us we know it's making us anxious but we keep going in to make sure it's still making us anxious and there's still a reason to be anxious it's like we just want to be right about the way we're feeling and i think it's about saying okay i'm at that too much level And when things get to a too much level, you're a bit like a sponge that has absorbed too much water. You're no longer functioning as a sponge anymore. You're just soaked. So you've got to wring yourself out and give yourself space to process everything you are taking in so that you can keep going. Absolutely. Joanna, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. And your, your comments and your guidance would be invaluable to people. Thank you for having me. I'm joined by Cathy Milliken of Bump Baby and Me. Welcome, Cathy. Oh, hello, Pam. Good to talk to you again. You too. So, Cathy, I joined you last week in one of your online yoga classes. And I suppose I didn't realise how much I needed to stop and pause until I did. Um, And it was, I just felt like a completely different person that the weight of the world and the weight of the pandemic had just been lifted and it gave me a time to myself um and letting go of that should and just to be in the moment Mm -hmm. yeah you're you're resonating a lot of what a lot of women think um pam after that session i couldn't i couldn't get over the amount of feedback that i got and messages through instagram and um emails coming in from women going that was exactly what I needed. Like you just said, I didn't realize how much I needed it. So they came off their mat that night um, and they just felt that they had connected with their little babas and that had been something that had not been on their mind. They were worried. They were anxious. All of these feelings very much understandable given the current climate that we're in. And um, I just wanted to be able to reach out and connect with women. And I thought, what better way to do it than than virtually online? Um, and so much so that now I've shifted everything of the classes over to online and in the hope that we can create this bubble for ourselves that I can provide that space for women um, in their uh, pregnancy and their journeys there and then following that as they have their babies and they're back for some breathing work for some meditation work and uh, some stretching work as a mom as a new mom and a scary enough time you know to be both to be pregnant to be to be in the world with a new little baby with all of the this madness you know when you start off on your journey this is not something that you ever felt um you be coming across so it's understandable how you're feeling and understandable how other women are feeling in this time 
Um, and it, I suppose it led me to make a post, a do, do a post on Instagram about just be. Um, we're trying to do so much now for ourselves. If there's other kids in the house and um, for partners from a work aspect and dealing with the emotions, the stress, the physical angst that this might cause us. So there's a huge amount going on. And I think it's so important to be able to stop and give ourselves that permission to be not running around like headless chickens, feeling that we have to do everything and be everything to everyone and be sitting with ourselves and allowing ourselves to answer to how am I feeling? What is going on in my head today? What is going on with the shoulders? I am so tight here. What's causing that? So just to check in and we're not going to get those answers. We're not going to be able to feed back into ourselves unless we actually pause, we stop, we breathe and we connect with ourselves. Yeah, and it's, it's understand the difference of what you can control and what you can't mm-hmm. control. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. A lot of we t- I talk about this a lot in kind of a visual visualization and affirmation um type in in classes or with clients, and our minds get frazzled because it's like the brain kind of explodes and we've got all this information and we've got a little bit of panic thrown in, a bit of anxiety, and when that gets too big nothing makes sense it's like it all just kind of it, it, it just all turns to to do this this roaring red color it, that's how i imagine it in the head and we just need to soften it out we need to calm it all down we need to just pick at it nice and gently um i kind of think about it as the breath like the breath is pouring over it and it's just dissolving it all down to the little parts that we can't control um it's it's easier said than done sometimes, but when you can get a little bit on top of it, so what can you control there? Your reactions to quite a lot of the stuff. Um, so are you going to immediately, you know, jump on the panic bandwagon or are you going to stop, pause, take a breath, listen to the situation and think about, okay, where am I going with this? How am I feeling about this right now? And what are the little tools that I can be, you know, putting in place to safeguard myself a little bit, to not get swept away with the with the panic wave? Yeah, and as well, I think we can get caught up in consuming so much media, which is mm-hmm. obviously every single time you turn on the radio and the television, it's an, and you pick up our phones, it's a constant mm-hmm. stream of updates, um, gener- like, some positive but generally it's somewhat in the, that negative space mm-hmm. um and I personally have have just said okay I, I'm clicking into the news once a day yeah and, and that is my fill and you know I can't like like what we just said I can't control what that is coming from the news but I can take it absorb it and then let it go again Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the beauty of doing a little practice like a prenatal yoga class or meditation class or my postnatal class. I find that I can just take the mums and guide them very gently off of that. So like I say to a lot of my mums in class, if you know, if you've got these thoughts playing around in your head, whatever they may be, they might be, you know, associated with this pandemic at the moment, they might be something completely different. There's other issues that are happening now that, you know, women in pregnancy have to deal with. And there's, we were just talking there about some of the kind of policies that are being put in place with regards to hospitals and birthing spaces and all this sort of stuff. It's very overwhelming. So if you, you find that you're on that track of just these thoughts, just these thoughts, and you can't find any um, calmness within the thoughts or beauty within your thoughts, I always liken it to 
you have a TV remote control in your hand and you have it pointed at the TV, you're looking at that channel and there that's your negative thoughts. So now you have it in your hand. Do you allow your hand to, to hold it or do you allow your fingers to do something and change the channel? So we are in control of our thoughts are not us. They're not bigger than us. They're simply thoughts. So we have got to try and control them in a very, very gentle way. Again, not being judgmental or giving out to yourself for thinking about this or I shouldn't be thinking this way or I shouldn't be, you know, talking about things this way. Take take out the shouldn'ts and just observe it for what it is. But you have that control in your hand. You're looking at that telly with the negative thoughts and you are going to press the button. You'll turn it off or you'll change the channel to something slightly lighter and gently wean your thoughts away. And all of a sudden then you're back onto a channel with better, more positive vibes. Yeah, exactly. And so it's in with that as well. We're trying to stay, you know, try and keep positive and it's challenging mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you're managing it. What positives are you taking out of this? I am taking away from the fact I certainly know people that have been affected um, by this um, COVID-19. Unfortunately, I know people whose uh, family members are in hospital and I know a lot of healthcare staff and workers on the front line. So my own my own unit as such is is okay and we're not directly affected and certainly not at the moment but um I have to see like that. I think that when people are talking about trying to see the positives, you're nearly afraid to talk about them because of the stuff that's going on outside and everything that's happening and the madness and the craziness and the sadness that's happening around this horrific disease. But we have to, because if we don't and we're not okay about speaking out about the positives or the silver linings and all of this, then everything gets swamped. Then it becomes a very dark place constantly. There is no light in that. So you have to bring your own little bit of light into it. You have to see the positives from your day, as tiny as they are. The little gratitude journal that I check in with. I don't do it every night. Um, Some nights I forget or some nights I'm so tired I just get into bed and and I'm gone. But more often than not I do and I write and I journal a couple of little points about the beauty from the day. It could be the most gorgeous, long, lingering hug I've had with one of my little girls. Um, It could have been them spontaneously coming up saying Ayla's favorite phrase now is I love you more and more each day and you know it warms my heart and I know she heard it in a movie or something it doesn't matter she has stopped to come to embrace me to say it to me um, and it just stops me in my tracks simplicity that I might be on my way over and thinking oh, I have to get back to those emails now and then I'll get the dinner on and she'll just grab me at the right time and say it to me and it'll just make me be still and me just be and not thinking about what else I should be doing. So it's just beautiful, the the simplistic nature of that and how it just brings it all back and the important things. But yeah, I think we have to we have to grab onto those silver linings. We have to keep them um from from a sanity point of view and from an upbeat point of view, we need to hold each other up, you know, the guys that are doing those hard jobs at the moment. They need everybody to, you know, do their best, keep yeah. keep in line with the guidelines and, and the regulations that they're setting out. Um, but to also, like we all sat outside and clapped at 8 p.m. last night, they need our spirits um, to, st- to stay strong. And we know we're going to get through this. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Cathy, I'm going to ask you now to take um, a part of the yoga class that you did mm. um, with me. You did a kind of a, a short meditation at the very end. Yeah, and it really helped. Like when I found when those thoughts were coming into my head towards the end, it kind of helped me actually keep them back out. So I'm going to ask you if you could guide us into a little meditation. Mm-hmm. 
no bother at all and that's exactly it even in meditation it's not like we can flick a switch and automatically we're in this beautiful special quiet place so for anyone out there that um is a little bit new to meditation or you do it ever so often just be gentle with yourself don't judge yourself don't judge where your mind might wander to because that's the nature the beauty the fierceness of the mind it travels it moves so if it starts to wander even away from what's going on here, my words, my voice, just gently guide it back and focus on your breathing. Your breathing is the most um, alive part of us right now. It's that constant that we have. So just tune back in with your breath and it will very much get you back in the moment very easy. So I'm going to just take us on a small little meditation and just concentrating on the heart breath. So if you are sitting comfortably, relax down the shoulders or even better if you can get to lie down right now and just connect with the floor. You might be on a mat or you might be on a rug, just be somewhere comfortable and allow yourself to focus on the areas of the body that are either touching the chair or touching the floor beneath you. And that's the first thing we do. We just focus on us in the here and the now and we're just being. The mind is simply focusing on the bottom touching the chair, or the soles of the feet might be on the floor, or the arms resting on the lap. Taking a nice big deep breath in, letting that exhale go. And I'm gonna do an inhale in through the nose, nice and steady, relax the shoulders and relax the face. Filling the belly space, and then exhale to let it all go. And that's your opportunity to let go of anxiety, stress, anything that you feel does not deserve to be in your headspace, in your little bubble right now, you let it go on the exhale. And each and every exhale we go through, you continue to let it release. You're gonna take a hand and gently place it up on your heart. And that's your way of physically connecting with your body and your mind, your breath. So as your chest rises and falls, you are there with the breath and you are there with yourself. Inhaling and exhaling nice and gently. Imagine now your heart beating. Supporting your whole body as it pumps rhythmically. Your breath is also in rhythm. Your body in rhythm, rising and falling. Keep with your breath, inhaling all the way in through the nose and all the way down. Down to the space in the tummy, exhaling out. Make those breaths as audible as they need to be. Feel the body become softer. Let the breath nourish, nurture, and just start to restore a little bit of calmness. On your next breath, you're going to gently Bring a bit of movement into the fingers and into the toes. If you're lying down, stretch the arms overhead. 
or if you're sitting you can do the same arms up overhead feel the stretch feel the body ease out and gently bring the hands to rest down again in the lap or by yourself if you're lying take a nice deep breath now very deep very long all the way down into the belly pause it there and let it go Gently now coming back, coming back to your space, coming back to your room, coming back to where you are in this moment, feeling more restored, feeling more calm, feeling more aligned with you, yourself, again. Thank you for listening. Stay home, stay safe.